Hey everyone, my name is Dr. Dolores Tarver. I'm a licensed psychologist here in Georgia coming to you with your next mental health moment as we wrap up September, which is Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month. I wanted to make sure that I spent some time addressing women and suicide. And so today our topic is I'll rest when I'm dead, women and suicide. Now, I know you all have heard all of the different stereotypes, all of the different statements that are frequently said about women and by women, such as, I'm strong, I don't have time for this, um, I need to put others first, I'll put myself last, uh, that's the way we're supposed to handle things, I'll take care of it, don't worry about it, um, let me take care of that for you. I, I don't have time for me. All of these things that lead into women feeling obligated to do things, um, being nurtured, think frequently as caregivers for people and frequently caregiving um, for a variety of different people, uh, whether that is something that is taken on or something that um, a person feels like is pushed on to them. Uh, women are frequently feeling overworked and overwhelmed, however, feel like they don't really have a choice and that's what they should be doing, All right? So let's kind of talk about how that affects women and get into some of these statistics. Uh, so we know that women are actually more likely to experience suicidal ideation or have a suicide attempt, though men are more likely to be successful in their attempts and actually complete suicide. Um, a history of suicide does put women at higher risk for suicide in the future. Uh, there is a myth that women attempt suicide for attention. That is not true. We need to take all attempts and all concerns that a person might express about their safety very seriously. Um, women will frequently utilize uh, means such as poisoning, um, the bleeding out, such as cutting from the wrist, drowning, hanging, um, and, and firearms a little less frequently than, than men. Uh, however, it is important to note that amongst our preteen and teenage girls, suffocation has actually uh, been shown to be on the rise as a, as a more lethal means for that age group completing suicide. Um, the use of poisoning is higher among women or girls who are prescribed psychiatric medications. Um, intentional overdose is higher in women who have a history um, of dealing with chronic depression. Um, that tends to be one of the, the I think the biggest factors for, for women in um, contemplating suicide is depression. Um, that suicide by firearm, I said, is less frequent in women, but it is there, and that is going to occur more frequently when there is a crisis situation going on, right? So if we're dealing with some difficult situation, might be a domestic violence situation, for example, in the moment, um, then and a firearm is accessible, then that is when the firearm risk does go up, which is why we like to take firearms away from people when they're in crisis. Um, from 1999 to 2014, there was a 24% increase in suicide rates among our girls from ages 10 to 14, which is a pretty startling statistic. Uh, however, the highest 
age range of women who are at most risk for suicide is actually 45 to 64. And as we talk about some of our risk factors, you'll begin to understand why that age group is at uh, the highest risk. So let's get into it. What are some of these risk factors? Uh, women are, we're very social beings. We care a lot about connecting to others. Relationships can be a significant priority to us. So it makes sense that um, feeling isolated, feeling lonely would be at the top of the list for risk factors for us. Breakups, conflicts in uh, relationships, marital distress um, is, is topping that list as well. Being isolated during this pandemic has put women at increased risk uh, because we're not able to necessarily access people in the same way. Uh, not having close work relationships, not having those friendships. A lot of women talk to me about, especially when they move to new areas, how difficult it is for them to find emotional connections and support groups. And, and frequently women feel like they're putting themselves out there a lot only to be rejected uh, or, or to be used by people and taken advantage of. And of course, that's another risk factor when you feel like, well, why do people continue to keep rejecting me or why do people continue to keep taking advantage of me and when you look around and you don't really have people that you can count on then that can be an incredible risk factor for women um feeling dismissed by healthcare providers the the stereotypes of women exaggerating um exaggerating their symptoms there's nothing really wrong with you you just want attention you want people to feel sorry for you there's something always wrong with you it's in your head um, you know, that crazy word that I've talked to you all about before as being something that we need to move away from, right? So what does this tell me as a woman that, that what's going on with me doesn't matter. It's trivial to people. I'm over-exaggerating. Women will fr frequently think, uh, okay, well, maybe it's just me. Maybe there's nothing really wrong with me. Having gone to the doctor and them say, well, I can't find anything physically wrong with you. Um, and sometimes women hear that as, Again, well, mentally you're unstable as opposed to, hey, stress can cause these physical manifestations in your body. Uh, lack of sleep, right? So we're not even addressing what's really underneath why a person is presenting. Uh, we know that women, um, particularly black women, are frequently um, turned away and not given the best care that they deserve, especially if they present in the ER, uh, because there's this notion, again, that you're... Um, maybe med seeking or or just wanting that attention. So you could be in significant pain and you leave there with Tylenol, which will not touch any kind of significant chronic pain, which is also a risk factor. When we have women who are dealing with chronic issues of all kinds of systems, it might be autoimmune disorders, um, it might be uh, chronic pain issues from accidents or other trauma that's happened in our lives. We know that a lot of women deal with Crohn's. Um, we may be having women that are, are dealing with MS, right? So these, uh, these challenges that women are experiencing and not really being able to get any kind of relief or really sometimes even being diagnosed with the correct thing. I've known several women who have been misdiagnosed for years um, with things. And so their, their uh, internal digestive systems are all thrown off. Every time they try to eat, there's diarrhea or there's nausea. And, and imagine just dealing with that, right? So we're, ch we're challenged into what we can eat. What can we take? to actually deal with that, that's not gonna upset our stomach. And so that is a huge risk factor for women. Um, 
caregiving, right? Caregiving is one of the biggest risk factors I think that we have for women because it may be a child that has special needs that you're taking care of. It could be a child with multiple diagnosis. Um, we know that women often adopt, so you could be a foster mom taking care of foster children, managing that distress, dealing with aging parents. Uh, we, we know that sometimes women feel as if they're the only ones really doing things in their home, that the bulk of the responsibilities for managing the home falls on them, and so they often feel overwhelmed. Uh, we know that a lot of times women um, may have a need to have things done a certain way, and so um, part of that distress sometimes is, well, you're not going to do it um, well, because we know that, especially with our, our children, frequently they are going to do the least amount of work they can uh, and not necessarily care as much about getting those baseboards cleaned. And so that struggle for women to go back after and over um, kids sometimes in doing the work themselves or never mind, I'll just do it um, or getting in that that role of doing the ironing for our kids or um, taking care of all of their, their things for them, handling it, it for them and not allowing them to grow and develop, recognizing, yeah, they may not do it as well, but that's why they need the practice, right? And, and then sometimes you end up being the only sibling in a family that is taking care of mom or dad, or you may have another sibling that uh, you're the responsible woman, right? You're the, the one in the family that, that is able to take care of things. And so everyone is coming to you asking for your opinion, seeking your support, thinking you'll take care of it, not recognizing the effect that that is having on you, right? So that is a huge one. And then there's also this guilt piece that I think a lot of us have, especially when it comes to caregiving, that like we have to be the ones to do the caregiving. We don't want mom um, to have someone from an agency coming in and, and providing some caregiving support for her. We've had those um uh, examples, I think, of a lot of us in our in our families where we've had loved ones not be taken care of well. They went to nursing homes or other facilities, and so in our minds, uh, we free and we do know that there are some some nursing homes that have been shut down. So this is not that it's not true, um, but then it doesn't leave room for us to recognize. Well, there are some good ones as well, and there are some good healthcare professionals as well. And our mind is just if anyone else is taking care of mom or dad, or anyone else is taking care of my child with special needs, they're not going to do the, the job that I would do, right? No one's going to love my loved one like I do. And so then I'm taking all of this on and I'm not getting a break. I'm not getting any respite from that. And so then I'm ending up having more medical conditions as of now. Now my hair is falling out. Um, again, not sleeping well, stomach all upset, uh, showing up at, at work and it's coming out in that way. I'm more irritable and frustrated with people, tense all the time on edge, um, get to the point where you're just so tired of people calling your name. You wish you could just change your name. Uh, so those kind of things are going on. But again, we have we we end up bringing some of that on ourselves because we feel this sense of obligation um, that we're into that ends up becoming a challenge for us. Uh, and then you know, other things that we end up dealing with are. Um, our own expectations that we place on us, right? So those expectations of you as a wife, you as a mom, you as a, a professional. And so I'm trying to balance work and life. Um, 
I may be trying to move up in a career and try to figure out how we're going to manage these kids, especially at home during the coronavirus. And a lot of times uh, there's an assumption that women will take care of it. So if the kids get sick, um, you know, they're calling mom to come pick up the kids frequently uh, or or. Um, you know, it may be that in a partnership, there is an expectation that the woman will take care of them when they're much younger uh, and that they need their mom. Right. And so there may be less um, support from male counterparts. And then again, sometimes we want it that way. Uh, and so we feel like that's what we should be doing. And so, again, we're putting that pressure on ourselves. Postpartum depression ends up being a huge risk factor for women after having a child. And, and, and oftentimes women are not necessarily aware that they're experiencing postpartum depression and there's still so much shame I think for women in talking about mental health there's so much stigma still associated with it like nobody again wants to be labeled as crazy um and this is frequently because of how we talk about mental health that that people feel so embarrassed and uncomfortable talking about it um domestic violence we know that women can be in partnerships with um people in their lives who are abusive to them. This could be ongoing abuse that they experience. Uh, even from their parents, there could be abuse. Uh, you talk to mom or dad and there's that constant verbal abuse. Um, there's definitely physical aggression that occurs in families. Uh, so there's that piece that women can be dealing with that can put them at risk. Childhood sexual abuse that occurred or uh, sexual assault that occurred later in life that caused significant trauma and that women are struggling with, uh, eating disorders, body image concerns, so much pressure on women from all over the place to look a certain way, to feel as if they are beautiful or um, that they have some worth and that their worth is tied to their appearance. And so that's a lot of additional stress that's placed on women. And again, that goes back to um, some of the loneliness and relationship piece. Uh, are people going to want to be around me if they don't view me as attractive. And then we get into the weight issues and the um, size discrimination that goes to colorism and all of those other things that go along with it. Um, am, I, am I being looked over because I have a certain weight or certain um, skin color or certain hair texture, right? The stereotypes that come along um, sometimes with, uh, with the color of our skin and where we're from. Uh, I think the changes in identity Right. So then if, if primarily my identity has been that of a mother and my children are all grown um, or I was a caregiver and the people I was caring for, parents, aunts, uncles, uh, other folks in my life, they're all deceased. Then who am I? What am, what am I left with? I feel like I don't have an identity outside of that, um, that maybe I felt like I didn't get a chance to nurture because of some of the other roles that I was in. Financial stress can be a huge trigger for women and we know right now that that people are underemployed and unemployed and that women in general tend to be paid less than our male counterparts and so this um coronavirus this covid crisis has hit women particularly hard um and then if you are managing multiple children and trying to figure out how to um get them educated from home without sending them to school that may also impact your ability to be able to work because you may not have employers that are flexible with you needing to stay home with your children. Uh, we also know that substance abuse, so women, uh, binge drinking has increased in women. Um, that's a huge factor, as well as the opioid addictions, right? So we end up having chronic health conditions and what do we get placed on? We get placed on these opioids and then women end up getting addicted to them. 
and then now I'm trying to manage life being addicted to this opioid or trying to come off of it but then I don't have alternatives to be able to manage my pain so I feel like I'm in this cycle um, so that can be one of uh, being overwhelmed women will tell me they feel like all they do is wake up to go back to bed um, wake up take their meds go back to bed get up take their meds go back to bed and, and you think about what kind of quality of life would that be for someone um, we know that black women are less likely to seek support from mental health providers and more likely to seek support from family and friends. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that that's always healthy, positive support. We often find that we see black women going to who they would like to be supportive of them only to be rejected and criticized, which what does that do? Then I'm internalizing more. I'm not going to share what's going on with me. Um, and, and I think just that difficulty acknowledging that I'm struggling, right? So I want to put on this face. I want to put on this hair and put on this, 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 this nice outfit and have you think that I'm doing well, right? We put on the face a lot as black women because that's what we're frequently taught to do. We don't care what's going on in your life. When people come around, you smile and you're welcoming and you're polite, especially here in the South. Um, you don't, you don't necessarily let people know what's going on with you. When they ask you how you're doing, you say, I'm doing great. You could be falling apart, but that's not something that we're taught to tell people. And then I think in, in general, women have a hard time talking about suicide. Black women in particular have a hard time talking about suicide. Some of that is cultural and some of that I think is for religious reasons where we're just like, uh, you know, that's, that's that word we don't want to mention. We definitely don't want to talk about if we've had suicide in our family. So that ends up being a, an incredible challenge for people. Um, so, so what can we do? What are some of the protective factors? What are some of the ways that we can intervene? Um, how can we manage this? Uh, so it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword, if you will, the things that are protective and the things that are also risk factors. Um, children are actually a protective factor, but they are also increased risk if you have a lot of stress associated uh, with, with um, your children. Um, being pregnant is a, is a risk factor, is a, is a positive um, protective factor for women, but it's also a risk factor, right? All of the stress that comes along with being pregnant. And if there are difficulties in pregnancy, and we know that um, women lose children uh, and, and may end up having uh, experiences where they have stillbirths or um, uh, miscarriages, right? Or, or deaths uh, relatively early on in, in um, the life of a child. So those are risk factors. Having that baby initially could be positive, but then what if something happens? And then this is, now this has become um, a, a, a risk factor for me, right? So kind of, like I said, double-edged sword there. Uh, we know that um, it is helpful when people get the care that they need, the culturally appropriate, competent care that they need. So if you find a good primary care provider or a good uh, mental health provider or a good gastrointestinal specialist or right so if you find that one person that hears you that sees you that is able to come up with some helpful interventions for you that can make all the difference um, being able to address the guilt that we have I think as women about what we feel like our role should be and and being able to, to not feel like we have to take care of everything and being able to relinquish some of that control and allow things to get done, even if it's not in the way that we want them to. And being able to really have supportive people in our lives who are going to step up and help. Like, I don't need to be getting up, washing dishes, cooking and cleaning. I just had surgery. Um, everybody's looking at me like, what's for dinner? And I'm, I'm laid up in the bed uh, in, in pain and I got to, you know, 
feel like I got to pull myself out of the bed to go cook because you all won't do anything, right? So having those supportive environments around us are really, really necessary. Putting those things in place before I have a procedure done, if that's the case, like who is going to be on my team to help me? Um, and that means reaching out and talking to people and telling them what we need, which is another thing that we frequently have to work on. And that's that assertiveness, being able to express what we need and not feel like we'll be looked at as weak if we do. Um, that that kind of restructuring our belief that we have to please others or take care of others, that's really important. Um, being able to have plans about support in motherhood and support when we're managing um, the distress of pregnancy sometimes or the things that come along with it, you know, especially as you're a new mother, you don't know everything um, to expect. And so having other people around who are supportive, not the ones that are going to tell you what to do to the point where they stress you out, but the ones that are there to listen um, and, and just sit with you if that's what's needed. Um, a wellness plan. How am I going to take care of me? How am I going to prioritize my self-care and not see it as selfishness? So that's a huge part of development for women. Having a good pain management plan is very important. I want to be able to be functional and still live and not be tied um, to taking medication all the time. Um, we also want to be able to check on our friends, right? You hear this all the time, check on your strong friends. I will say to you, check on all your friends um, and let's get away from this strong, weak mentality because that's what's putting us in these categories that we're trying to maintain now. All of us need support. So just check on your friends, period. Don't assume that when that person stops texting or coming around or calling you back that they're busy. That may be an indication that they're dealing with some depression and some other issues and they're isolating. So put those folks particularly on your radar. But just get in the habit of just checking on people um, in general. Uh, I, I think that, you know, it's there's so many different aspects to a woman's identity and it is important that we nurture a lot of different aspects instead of just focusing on and everybody doesn't want to be a mother and everybody doesn't want to be a partner um, there are other aspects to nurture your career your connection to the environment things that you're doing to walk in your meaning and your in your purpose um, being able to establish ways to, to support um, different agendas that you have, you know, your plan for education or how you want to be able to deal with racism or whatever it may be that you're doing so that if one thing stops, that doesn't mean that you're now lost, right? So my kids are going to grow up one day. They're going to be adults. They're not going to need me in the same way. So what's going to be my identity after that? Or if I, you know, my partner ends up dying or if I don't get married, like I don't want my identity just to be tied to partnership. So having that wide range of identity also helps in terms of being a, a protective factor. So what are your resources? We uh, have mentioned, I think in every one of these episodes, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. Again, 1-800-273-8255. Um, you can locate a mental health provider through your insurance. Uh, you can Google Psychology Today and put in your parameters for finding a good provider. Therapy for Black Girls, one of my favorite doctor, favorites, Dr. Joy Harden, um, has a list of uh, Black female clinicians. Um, we can work with our faith-based institutions to have some therapeutic resources intertwined there, uh, give people access to mental health providers, have a list. Black Mental Wellness is another website 
um, that you can access liberation meditation, which is an app. That's a really good one you can utilize. Latinx therapy for our, our women that um, identify with a, a, a Latina connection. Um, the Loveland Foundation actually was created to offer financial help to um, women seeking therapy. So that's a really, really good one for black women who are, are looking for resources and can't afford therapy right now. I don't want you to feel like you can't get it. Um, connect with them as an option, right? So be well, be healthy, um, be able to say you need some support and be able to say no to some things, right? Because we want you around. We need you. We see you. We love you. Um, and, and we want you to be your healthiest self, self okay? Be encouraged. <laughs>